Today on the Agents Who Crush It Real Estate Podcast, we're going to hear the good, the bad, and the ugly of how real estate agents overcame challenges and grew their business. Check out the episode notes at crushitinre.com slash podcast. And here's your host, Lindsay Favaza. Welcome back to the Agents Who Crush It in Real Estate Podcast. I am sitting today with Woman of the Year, Realtor of the Year. She has led the number one team in Missouri. She's a trailblazer. She now has a book and she's also holds an extremely rare divorce real estate expert accreditation, which I definitely want to hear more about. But <laughs> sure. I am sitting with Kathy Helbig Strick. Welcome to the podcast today, my friend. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. I'm super excited to be here. I saw, I mean, I see your post anyways, because we're friends on Facebook, but I saw a post recently about the book and I said, hell yeah, I need to get this boss lady on this podcast immediately. So I think you were the first person that reached out. (laughs) Perfect. I'm sure there's going to be plenty more. So I'm glad that I was first on the list. So, so let's dive into it. When did you get into real estate? It was 26 years ago, right? Is that stat still accurate? All right. 26 years ago, you got into the business. Why? <laughs> I love it. Uh, why did you get in? What did you, what were your thought process and, and take us back to that time? Yeah. So honestly, I got into it on a whim. Um, I had been in automobile sales since I was 19 years old. And then I went into outside sales also in the auto auto industry, then got married, had a baby like four months in pregnant and like, wow, I couldn't do that job anymore because it was pretty labor intensive. And so I stayed home for the first two years and I thought I was going to just be a stay home mom. I kind of always grew up with that intention and the sales jobs before was just a job. So after two years, I decided I needed a little more stimulation. We happened to be thinking about selling our house. So we ran across this, this small broker and went to a seminar that he had. And next thing I know, we're, we're listing our house with him. And then through that process, he was just like, you should really get into real estate. Um, you would be great at it. I'll, I'll put you through school. You come work for me, you know, yada, yada, yada. So the next thing I know, I'm, I'm in real estate school. I've passed the test. I'm pregnant with my second child at this point. And I was looking, he told me that I could get in real estate, work about 15 hours a week and make a ton of money. (laughs) that's interesting. Like, cool. Yeah, I can <laughs> Did they that. ever do real estate or they were just selling you on it? <laughs> he was, yeah, selling me on the, the broker pitch. So um, so that's what I was expecting coming in, that I was going to be dabbling in real estate and, you know, doing it on the side. I would say, you know, 30 days in, I knew I wasn't the right fit at that place. I also was learning that I liked it. And so I jumped across the street to the largest broker in town, signed up there never looked back. I mean, it it literally happened for me like overnight. So within, with just one year in, I was already looking for leverage. How to, how to, what what could I do to keep up with the business that I had? And like I said, I had a second baby by then. So that was the beginning of it. And then that was real. And that was in 1997. So this was, think about this. This was prior to the internet (laughs) and real estate playing together. We did have lock boxes. I didn't have to go to the, the offices and pick up keys. We didn't have the MLS book. We had a floppy disk yeah. with the MLS on it. And that's how we did real estate. So um, it, all this was all pre-teens. So the fact that I was looking for help was prior to really knowing that that was going to be the biggest 
model, you know, to, to talk about for, for yeah. years coming. So that was my start. And then I ended up kind of partnering with some people. And so you partnered with people and then you became one of the first teams in Missouri yes. or the first team in yes. Missouri? There was probably two, two or three of us that emerged around the same time. I wasn't aware of them because, again, there wasn't real estate online marketing where you can search, you know, search people and stuff. So we, we emerged around the same time. Probably the other more successful, you know, more known team along with me was also at the same company just across town. And like I said, I started with a partnership. No direction, you know, really back then, there really wasn't training per se. I mean, you had, here's an envelope with the contract and all the disclosures and supplements, you know, go read it. It was that kind of training, but never ever, and still to this day, there's not much of it. There's never really training on how to make a business out of real estate, you know? So of course I am, am a young mom juggling kids, juggling people and only working, 50, only working 15 hours, of course, Yeah, a day, <laughs> <laughs> a day. So, you know, some people were in my office, they were nice. And it was a mother daughter team. And just that a necessity, they were always like, hey, if you ever need any help, let us know, let us know. And I was like, you know what, we should just all partner up. Like we should just throw everything in the kitty and then just split it. And they were like, okay. You know, and I, I wasn't thinking anything through. We had nothing in writing. We, we did this over a lunch, the handshake deal. And so that was the first kind of team that we had. And that lasted about three years. You know, we definitely double, tripled our business every single year, but it wasn't the right fit. And there was too many people trying to lead. And then of course you've got a mother daughter dynamic and then me. So, you know, I just felt like it was time for me to do my own thing and reorganize. So at that point in time, the reason why I talk about this is because I think people do this so often in our industry, just rush into something. Absolutely. At that point in time, um, like I said, we didn't have anything in writing. We all worked for the same company. At this point, we left one company and went to another. And uh, I just wanted to amicably say, you know what, here, take two thirds of the listings. Let's just, you know, part and go. And they had another idea. They sued me. So, yeah. So that was my first adversity in real estate. And it was crazy because I remember the day and the feeling vividly um, when I got served because it was right before a holiday weekend. And not only did I get served, but I got served with a restraining order that I could not contact homeowners businesses, past clients, current clients, nothing. And I was locked out for at least the foreseeable short part would be the holiday weekend, right? Because I couldn't get an attorney, couldn't get to a court. Yeah. Well, with restraining orders, you know, it's temporary until you have a court date. So the court date was two weeks from that. So I was like a caged animal for two weeks. Like, what is going on? They got some judge to sign off on it right before the holiday was starting. You know, it was like kind of in under the wire. Yeah, the day I was going to court to to make that go away, my attorney has a heart attack. So here I am, no attorney, like, and then some substitute attorney is like, well, I'm going to go in for him. I'm like, this is my whole future here. So it got postponed another two weeks. So I was out of out of commission for, you know, 30 days. So that taught me a really, really big lesson that this is the, this is the big girl's world. And, you know, just partnering up with friends 
without an exit plan, without partnership agreements was a really, really bad idea. And it turned into an ugly divorce. And so luckily we, we ended up settling and, and, and walked away, you know, after all of that stuff. But that's the biggest thing I warn people about today is like, don't haphazardly get into business with people without A, knowing who you're getting into business with and B, having everything documented. Yeah. Even so that was that. Even partnerships, like we have some agents that will just do like a partnership where they're not necessarily a team, but they just kind of partner to help each other. And I I think that's fine, but you got to have some kind of, you know, paperwork to cover yourself and to cover them. Like it's, it's mutually beneficial. And and to cover the broker too, because now we were in a position where both of us were under the same brokerage and clearly not liking each other. And yeah. clearly having our own, you know, opinions of things. And so it puts the broker in a bad position too. So definitely if if I can warn anybody about anything is be cautious, number one, and, and document everything and plan for plan for your exit up front. It's just like a marriage. It's yeah. harder than a marriage. You gotta have yeah. a prenup. <laughs> and the percentage of marriages is well, more than 50% end up in divorce and a and a partnership is a business marriage. So that's got a higher divorce rate than even marriages. So keep yeah. that in mind when you go go into it. And also like, don't doubt yourself. You know, I think, you know, getting into those partnerships is because you don't think you can do it on your own. And, you know, sometimes this, the scare of, you know, I'm a single mom. I mean, I lived in that too. I totally understand. I did things back then that I shouldn't have done just based on the fact that I was afraid, you know? So it's like, and I didn't know any different. I was naive and you people, we just had this on our book discussion the other day. A lot of people in our industry plan to work together or hire people. And I'm guilty of it. I'm still guilty of it because we like them, because we want to give somebody an opportunity, not because it's the best fit and because it's easy. Somebody's sitting there right in front of you. I don't have time to interview a bunch of people. You'll work. Come on in and, you know, work on my team. And that's almost always a disaster. (laughs) So still learning that lesson. It's almost better to not work with friends, too. It's very hard. I've had had a tumultuous road with friends and family, for sure. So tell me about the team and the early days after that all kind of settled down. Did you yep. go back into having a team? Obviously, you went back into having a yep. team model and hiring people and having contracts and doing all those things because you learned your lessons. Um, but tell me about those lessons, but yes. early. Yeah. <laughs> tell me about those early days of the team and kind of getting that off the ground again and like how yes. that, you know, what you dealt with with that. Yeah. So I reorganized. I realized that there had to be one cook in the kitchen. Um, And again, no teams to model. There was nobody to look at at that point in time. So everything was trial and error. And man, I did a lot of trials. And so I started with, you know, just hiring an admin first. Back then, virtual assistants weren't weren't even hardly heard of, but I found this virtual assistant. So she did some of my marketing and like newsletters and things like that for me. So that was kind of cool. That was cutting edge before anybody was doing it. And then I hired my sister as a buyer's agent and um, another listing assistant at some other point in time that was a friend, a neighborhood friend, you know, I was still doing that whole year, you'll work, you'll work, you know, bring you in. Um, and, And we were growing, we were growing quickly. Um, But still some dysfunction with that type of thing. It's just hard to manage friends and family. And I still was a baby. I didn't know how to manage people, you know, and I was still, I'm still, I am a little bit of a control freak, but not, not like in a methodical type of way, but I'm creative and I have a certain vision for certain things. And so if somebody doesn't 
make my vision come to life and what we're trying to do, then, then I can be a little bit controlling with that type of thing. But, you know, we grew and then we just kept growing and selling houses. And then I was building a house myself and we moved from one County to another. And the next thing I know, you know, we're, we're doing like a three or four person team in no sales doing about 35, 38 million and working out of my house, having my whole team in my house. So it was literally like always work. And yeah, no separation between no. So I can doing never the dishes, turn it off. doing the laundry, and then closing no. a deal. Like it's yeah, all. Yeah, I would always spot. be like, maybe I'm gonna okay, I'm coming up from the basement, you know, feed the kids, whatever. And then like, you know what? I need to run and check that email. Three hours later, I'm still sucked in, you know, downstairs in, in yeah. my home office. So that was really tough because I did I did not ever turn it off. Um, but we but we were growing in leaps and bounds. So at that point in time, it's about 2007. We were the highest um, selling team in the Missouri region. We were with Remax at the time. And uh, that's when an opportunity came my way. And honestly, I just took the meeting just to find out about my competition. I had no intentions of doing anything with it. But Keller Williams had come into our town. They were not a name most people had heard of in our area. We have a paint store in our area called Sherwin-Williams. I don't know if you guys have it, but everybody's like, is that a paint store you're working for? Are they selling houses now? No, no, no. But they came and, you know, basically painted this vision of ownership, of doing something else besides selling houses the rest of my life. And after 2007 and, you know, handling most of the, that production myself, uh, I was thinking, all right, I'll at least hear what they have to say, and then I can gain more about my competition. Well, the more I sat and the more I sat, the more I was intrigued with the idea that you can do something else in this business besides sell houses. And I love this business. And there's going to come a day that if there is other opportunities, maybe I would like to seek those out. So I ended up partnering with some people again, and we opened up the first Keller Williams um, Market Center in this particular county that we were in. So that was the next new ride. I still kept my team together. We moved over. They were, they thought I was crazy. And then of course the market was busting. So two, it was 2008 when we actually opened our, opened our doors. I was going to say that's this timing is making me nervous. <laughs> yes. Well, honestly, it was making a lot of people nervous. It was very hard to even get a lease. Yeah. And um, I had to personally, I was the partner that had to personally guarantee the lease yeah. for this building. And it was scary, but because no one knew it was going to happen. I mean, just like we're dealing with right now, we came out of, it was pretty easy to sell a house. And then suddenly they're sitting on the market and sellers are in denial. And I remember the day I left Remax and went to Keller Williams and transferred, we had 88 listings on our team, just our team. And so those 88 listings sat there for a lot of them for a very long time without, without a return, you know, and some of them you lost and then some of them you, you ended up selling, but that's, that's how I started that next chapter. Um, I can say it ended up being a blessing in disguise because for my new role, and that is being a connector to build, to bring people into a new organization that really, our area wasn't super familiar with the fact that I was a successful agent and a well-known agent helped open those doors. And so people don't move when they're happy. People don't move when they're making a lot of money. People don't move when they're busy a lot of times. And everybody was dying for something different, something new for answers 
for a, a safety line. Yeah. So we were able to grow really quickly because of being in a down market. So it actually ended up not being such a bad, such a bad thing. So now that we are kind of seeing, you know, similar but different, it's a similar situation where Mm -hmm. it's, you know, turned so quickly. um, But obviously the, you know, the different components of it before there was inventory. Now there's no inventory. You know what I mean? Um, So tell me about this changing market. Let's switch to, you know, what advice do you have for agents that are facing this new market for the first time, a changed Mm -hmm. market? And how can they navigate this? Well, my biggest advice, and Anthony and I have talked about this before, is, I mean, look to the past for answers on how to handle this market, because most of the agents out there haven't lived through a market like this. And, you know, people like me, people like Anthony, a lot of other, you know, agents I know that have been around for a long time, we have, and there's just so many similar vibes to this market as what we had before. So even as consumers, like seek out the experienced and no, no one, no one is experienced in this exact market right now, but because there's so many similar factors, I feel like it's advantageous for somebody like me to say, listen, I know you're going to feel this way. I know you're thinking this way because I lived it back then. And instead of you wasting the next 10 months thinking this way, and then you're going to come around and realize, I'm going to tell you, this is what this the sellers back then thought, here's what happened. And here's what the people that, that pivoted quicker, sooner than later did. And so I want to make sure that I'm giving you the advice to not put your head in the sand, because that's what happens when, when your sellers on the front line of a change like we are right now, this market, we, we flipped pretty much felt like overnight. So the group of sellers that came on the market this summer, they're the front line of this change. So they have nothing to look to. They're looking in the past. They're looking at, well, my neighbor sold for X just two months ago. But they're also not looking at, okay, maybe it closed two months ago, which means it went on the market two months before that. It got the buyer four or five or six months ago. The market has changed drastically since then. So you can't react now to what was happening then. And being able to to articulate that to the seller and then to reference 2008, 2009, how those sellers, I I watched what happened is they wouldn't listen to their first agent. They wanted to do the la, 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 not me. I know I hear it on the news. I know I hear all around, but my house is the best house in the neighborhood. My house sits on the biggest lot. My house is going to sell no problem. And they didn't want to believe that it was going to happen to them. They wanted to be the exception to the rule. So when I talk about that and explain, and guess what? Those people didn't sell. And they sat. And they sat. And then they changed agents because it must be the agent's fault. Agents not marketing my house properly. What's the agent doing to sell my house? And the blame is always at somebody else rather than I need to pivot because the market pivoted. So looking at that, they would change agents. Then the next agent would come in. Probably half the time, second agent got the price reduction that the first agent was trying to get, right? So some of those houses would sell. Some of them would go on to the third agent. And then you would finally see some changes and corrections. And then some of those houses would sell. And that's exactly what we're living through right now. So if you can't can't go in with confidence 
with your sellers right now and say, listen, none of us know what this market is exactly doing at this particular time. So we need to watch for little micro changes. We need to watch for um, reading between the lines of things, even like feedback, uh, algorithm, hit, hit counts versus how many showings, how many saves versus the people that actually showed up at the house and then start making some sense out of those clues and then reacting to them. If you don't do that, and if you're not an agent that can do that and tell these sellers what they need to do, then you're doing them a disservice by just letting them sit there because you're not strong enough to tell them that they need to change and take their price down or make some updates or do whatever they need to do. And they will seek out agents that will tell them the hard truth because I learned that going in, being a listing agent, if you think about it, layman people out there, it's it's a tough position because you're walking into someone's most personal prized possession and most expensive most expensive yeah most expensive but there's so much emotions tied into a house Mm -hmm. too and there's pride you know even with the decorating like they redecorate like I put my heart and soul into painting those walls and you know I made the murals on my kids rooms you know that type of thing so there's just so so much that goes into a house so you're interviewing for a job so think about layman's out there when you go interview for a job you've got your best clothes on right you want to say the right words you want to be perfect you're going to compliment you know the interviewer kind of suck up a little bit like that's that's the mo for an interview well now you're a listing agent walking in and saying house has got to change colors are too much the decors mm, we gotta cut some of this stuff back oh and by the way It's not worth what you think it's worth. Oh, and by the way, you're going to pay me a pretty good amount of money to tell you these things. And you got to choose me because you're talking to three other people after I'm giving you these this dose of truth. Are you going to choose me or are you going to choose the agent that comes in and goes, oh, my gosh, your house is beautiful. I wouldn't change a thing. Oh, sure. You want to ask two two times what it's worth? No problem. Like, that's what we were getting. That's what we had. And houses still sold just like it did this past you know, year, Mm -hmm. but those days are over. And it was scary for me to change the MO when I, back in 2008, to walk in and say, no, I won't take the listing at two times what you think it's worth. It's not going to sell. And no, although I think your house is lovely, let's talk about what we need to do to appeal to the most buyers and make some of those changes. And I, I got tough with my conversations and I was honest with people. And it scared me because I thought they were going to throw me out of their house. Yeah. And honestly, 80% of the time, they hired me because of that honesty. Yes, absolutely. 20%. Yeah, 20% they probably wouldn't have yeah. done it anyway. <laughs> yeah, but guess what? We got the call back for the second, the second time yep. for some of those people that we didn't get the first when time. When they realized that they should have gone with you the first time. Yeah, exactly. So tell me a little bit about what kind of struggles. I know you've talked about the team struggles and that kind of thing, but more realtor specific, what kind of struggles you've dealt with in your career as far as dealing with sellers, dealing with buyers and like how you've kind of overcome some of those. Cause I think mm-hmm. that kind of advice from someone who was realtor of the year and all yeah. these crazy accolades, you have so many accolades. <laughs> I had to literally go and pick and choose. I'm like, well, this one sounds really cool. So I'm going to use this well, one. 26 so years accolades. is a long time. Yeah. <laughs> You're like, I better have all the awards. Yeah. yeah. So 
tell us a little bit about what some of those struggles are that you've had with buyers and sellers and then like how you over time have overcome some of those things. Mm-hmm. Well, I think early on, um, you know, the struggle with sellers was gaining confidence in pricing. You know, that I think that's a struggle for everybody still, still they, even more so now with, with comps all crazy, but gaining confidence in pricing and being able to have those conversations um, with different personality types and trying to match personalities, the mirror match thing, that's, that's real important because if you're, if you're one of these people by nature, that's bubbly and silly and, you know, fun, and you go in and you're interviewing with an engineer, they're not going to attract to that. So I, I learned early on those type of things I needed to pay attention to and, and figure out who my, who my client was and then figure out how to properly price houses. Cause that's the number one thing. I think the other thing with, with sellers is again, how to conflict, do conflict resolution because they do want to throw everybody else, throw the finger at everybody else. So figuring out how to have tough conversations with them in a professional manner, but also with empathy, because I think a lot of agents lose focus of how difficult and emotional it is to sell a house. I think every agent should have to sell their own house every five years. Absolutely. To, to regain that empathy. A little market, back. market research. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> you know, because it, we, we get jaded by it. It's our job. It's something that we're doing every day. We're dealing with 30 different people a month, you know, that are doing that same thing. So it's, it's just part of the, part of our day. That's not that way for everybody else. So I do think that I got very, very good at those conversations and being able to, you know, calm sellers down, take their feelings into consideration and, um, you know, have those conversations that move them forward. I think with buyers, it's learning how to corral buyers and take control also. I don't know if you guys are a buyer agency state or not. We we are, but but most of our you know, a lot of our agents are very, very weak at getting that commitment and getting that buyer agency signed up front. And then they're in my office. Well, well they went for, uh, in an open I house saw them in an open house. They went yep. with someone else. I've been showing them houses for 10 months. I'm like, well, you have a buyer agency? Well, no, <laughs> you know, so that that's a big struggle, like getting, knowing your worth and being able to articulate your value to the, to the buyer is a struggle because there are so many people out there that will work with the, with them without a commitment. So when you're the one that's sticking to your gun saying, listen, I, I, this is a loyalty agreement and you're going to go top of my priority list. My people that have loyalty agreements, otherwise, you know, consumers, you know, you have plans with your kids. You're sitting at home at dinner, the phone rings. Can I get in this house in an hour? And like you're like if you're a single mom, you're calling babysitters like you're doing all that stuff. We shouldn't have to do that without the commitment back from that person that when they do pick a house, we're going to finally have a paycheck from that. Yeah. And agents are weak about that. So and, and it took me a while too to get enough um, confidence in myself to say, listen, I I really want to work with you, but I'm OK with you walking away if you can't commit to me, because I've already seen it happen too many times that. I work for a year and then I don't get paid. And that's just not, that's not right. And working with buyers in the last couple of years, I mean, God, they were showing hundreds of houses in yes. some cases, writing, writing 
50 offers. offers. Yes. And it's like, what the heck? They weren't yes. getting anything. Yeah. If they didn't have them under contract, then what is going to stop them right. from just going off to someone right. else? So, yeah, I mean, I think and, that that people definitely struggle with that for sure. Yeah. And I struggle with it. It as as a whole in the industry, how the consumer, what consumer opinion is for real estate agents makes me sad. It does. And that's why I changed my business model several years back, because it really, really bothers me that people don't respect our time. They don't respect our knowledge. They think it's easy. They think, oh, what, they're just opening doors and letting me in. I could have done that. They think we're making all this money on them. They don't realize how it's split in all these different ways. And so there's just this really poor consumer opinion for people in our industry. And, you know, it just, it gets, it gets to my soul when I see people treat some of my, the way they treat some of my team members with just not, I mean, who thinks it's okay to have somebody go work for you for months I mean, I think and, they, and then they get no pay and you're fine with it. It's like you people know? in general nowadays too. They just yeah. don't respect each other. They don't respect each other's time. They don't respect. Yep. And then I think as much as I watch all of them, I also think that some of these television shows are glamorizing it to oh the my point gosh. where it's making it look like it's Absolutely. like a fake thing. You know what I mean? Absolutely. Like, I don't I can't even like I don't watch a lot of them because I'm like I get so mad. I'm like, that's I, not how it happens. That's not how it is. I don't pull up in my Maserati with a with a bottle of champagne and go, hey, you want to sell this house for blank. Sure. I'll take this. Okay, great. It's a deal. Let's meet at the bar. Like, I watched one of the way. episodes where they had a Botox party at a broker open. And I'm like, you gotta be kidding me. Like <laughs> hey, that is we, only hey, we might be onto something. Wait a minute. Now. <laughs> You're like, I'm taking notes now. <laughs> That's right. That's right. <laughs> well, Kathy, we are about to wrap up, but I wanted to leave with one last question that I think you'll sure. answer well and take your time. We have plenty of time, but, um, I want to make sure that I ask, what advice do you have for agents to have longevity in this business? Um, what kind of advice would you give to them? Because there's a lot of people who have started in the last few years that will start to question whether or not this is yep. good for them. And what kind of advice would you give them to kind of get through this motor through and get to the other side? Mm -hmm. The biggest thing is know your craft. Like so many people came into this when it was a frenzy. And so, you know, it was some door opening and contract writing and that type of thing. Um, and it, it amazes me when I work with people that I hadn't worked with prior, how, how people don't know a lot of things about the business. And so if you're not studying, if you're not studying your business every single day, you're going to get passed up because it used to be going back to those days before the Internet. You know, we were the controller of the information back then. If somebody wanted to, to find a house or buy a house, they had to call a real estate agent. And then each office had their own inventory. So it was so completely different. And then as soon as that started getting access online, the consumer didn't need us for the information anymore. And then the more that the, the World Wide Web has become full of all kinds of information, you know, they can research all kinds of things that we used to be the keeper of before. So that's why the consumer doesn't see the value in the agent as much if that's what your value proposition is. So it's really the knowledge behind the scenes 
and the knowledge about the market and the knowledge about the process and the strategies. If you don't know how to strategize and talk strategies with your client, then you're going to get passed up. So you have to be either modeling somebody, getting mentored, something to where you're getting better at your craft on a daily basis instead of just focusing on how to put a listing in, how to put a buyer in the car and how to write a contract. There is so much between the lines on all of that that you can get better at. And prospecting, it's like to, it, it boggles my mind that most agents don't want to prospect. They don't want to make phone calls. Like they don't want to do a to lot make of a phone call. <laughs> yeah. So I don't know how you're going to expect longevity in your, in your business if you're not constantly filling your pipeline. Even if you're on a team, you can't constantly rely on the team leader to be filling your plate. You've got to learn how to be a hunter yourself. And there's a lot of people that just don't like to hunt. Yep. So last, last because I said that was my last question, but I want you to talk just for a minute about your book and we are okay. going to link it in the show notes so that if anyone wants to go and get a copy of it, I would love for you to do that. I'm going to get my copy because I'd love to read it as well, but tell okay. us a little bit about the book. So the book was an opportunity that came my way about a year ago. It's called Women in Real Estate Who Boss Up. And there is a an author, publisher, um, who has a boss up series on different topics and, and people. And so she had done real estate years ago and she came to the conclusion that there needs to be a boss up in real estate. Um, and so it's a collaborative work. I've Everybody has said for years, you should write a book, you should write a book, basically like your, your stories and you know your encounters and things. And we probably could fill a book, but who has the time to you know do that? So although who knows what the future holds, this to me was an, was an entry point to go, okay, we each get a chapter. I can do that. And I, it's like putting my toe in the water of, of you know, writing or at least uh, reflecting on some of the things in, in my career. And it was an interview style. So it was pretty simple. You know, they they came through and interviewed us and then put it in writing. And then we went back and made some changes. And of course, being the perfectionist I am, I rewrote the whole darn thing because I wasn't I wasn't expecting to. uh tell it book style in my interviews. So I did spend, you know, a good month late at night, kind of just putting things in chronological order and rearranging and filling in some of the gaps that I felt like was lacking in the interviews. But, you know, the coolest thing was working with 15 other women, because I have to say that's been something that's been disappointing for me in this industry is being a woman leader has been really, really difficult in a lot of ways. And I touch on that a little bit in my chapter. And what I didn't have time to get into is not only in leadership, you know, the leadership arena, but even just with your peers, you know, there's just so many women that, that lip service support women but really don't support women. And I have always been an advocate of women. And so getting to work collaboratively with these 15 other ladies and hearing their stories, because we all have vastly different stories. It's all pretty much, you know, some adversity, how you get over it and then how we're succeeding. But I didn't realize how powerful, because I, I, I have imposter syndrome, even with this book. I don't want to say, I wrote a book. I'm always like, it's a collaborative, it's a chapter, like... Because I don't feel I don't feel like 
it's the same thing. You know, I'm taking that away from myself. But when I hear these women, I, I don't look at them that way. I only look at myself that exactly. way, you know? Yep. And so we we did a panel together and it was amazing. Each one of us, as we began to talk, every single one of us got emotional and the room got emotional. And the feedback later was that was one of the best panels we heard because everyone could relate Everyone can relate to the feelings behind the scene because I, I think what's really sad about our time right now is social media just ruins everything. And it's all fairy tale. And then we're always comparing ourselves to the Netflix shows. Yes. <laughs> too. Yes. And you we know? always feel inept. We always yep. have that imposter syndrome. Yep. You know, so this book was my opportunity to let people see some of the struggles that I had that I kept to my chest because all they see is, Oh, she's doing great. Oh, she's so lucky. Oh, she's this. And they don't know, they don't know behind the scenes, the battles that I had faced and the wrong choices that I made sometimes and the money that I wasted and all the things that I did wrong has taught me the next thing, you know, but social media right now, nobody talks about that. So I think that was why I said, I would do this book and I wish I had more, more chapters now because I just scratched the surface. Now but you can write your was, own. Yeah. That was the main reason just to kind of put it out there that I'm not perfect. I had struggles. Yeah. Um, I'm resilient and yes, I kept definitely. coming back and I'll continue to, to come back after whatever I'm faced. Whatever's I'm sure. next. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I hope it's smooth sailing for you from here, my friend. Thank you. <laughs> Thank, Thank you. you so much for being a guest. I really, really appreciate it. I know our audience is going to love this episode. So I really appreciate you coming on. Well, I appreciate you having me. It means the world. Absolutely. All right, everybody. Thanks so much for joining us. And we will see you on the next episode of the agents who crush it in real estate. We hope you learned something today. Be sure to take action and grow your business. You can check out the episode notes and more content from the show at crushitnre.com slash podcast. And if you like this episode and want to hear more stories, please share with others, post on social media, and leave a review. Check out our other content on Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube at Crush It and Real Estate. We appreciate you listening to our podcast. Now get out there and crush it in real estate.